Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are on episode 123. My name is Tyler and of course you have Pratik and Nick as always. So kicking it off with Nick, what's going on in France? So the French are rioting over pension reforms. So over the last couple of weeks, French citizens have taken to the streets over President Emmanuel Macron's decision to raise the minimum pension age last week from 62 to 64. The government narrowly survived two no-confidence votes that happened shortly after that, that were going to kick him out of office but didn't quite pass. Um, There have also been weeks of strikes and protests against the proposals, culminating in outbreaks of violence in some cities uh, during Thursday's National Day of Action. So why is the government doing this? Well, Macron's government says the reforms are necessary to prevent a projected 13.5 billion euros in annual deficits in the pension system in 2030. The reforms... Macron claims, are going to make the system financially sustainable, and currently France's pension system costs about 14% of the country's GDP. It's the third highest within the OECD, behind Italy and Greece. Tyler Pratik, what do you think about these French pension reforms? I think that it's smart. If you're having financial troubles and you're trying to figure out how to make your economy work and trying to balance it, then it's a good idea for you to do it. I mean, I'm on one I'm one of those people that's going to be on Macron's side because we're kind of more conservative, but the whole French system is a strange system altogether. I don't really understand what's the difference between Marine Le Pen and Macron because they're both conservative, right, well, but hey, no, they, they, one they're thing, different, there's a big they're difference. Dude. But Come one on thing now. I'll say is that in terms of these pension type reforms, this is something that would happen in the US too. If you decided to raise the social security age tomorrow, there would be outbreaks, there would be people getting really pissed off. And that's the reason why Trump is on the side that we don't need to raise the social security age and we need to keep it the right. way it is, right? So this is one of those things that from a populist message, they would be arguing we shouldn't raise it, we should lower it if anything, we need to make it more, you know, more more possible for everybody to get pensions and all this stuff because people like pensions and they like getting money from the government. But financially, in terms of fiscal responsibility, if they are having financial troubles based on what's going on in Europe, then this is a smart move from Macron, in my opinion. But you're going to come with a lot of hostility with it as well. Right. I was going to say no one's going to be happy about raising the pension age itself. I don't know. Tyler, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It's not something anyone wants to do, but you have to do because this is only going to continue to happen. They're going to run into a situation where they're not able to pay people for the pension anyway. So would it be better to have a pension that you can't pay people out for or adjust it so it's more sustainable over time? I think it's a pretty obvious choice. Well, just run the deficit. That's what that's what the opponents say. Just add on to the deficit. It kind of reminds yeah. me of what's going on over here. I know Fatik yeah. is going to say, oh, deficits are bad. We should reduce them. Tyler, do you think that... Like, just like, what's your gut reaction to that? If you were a citizen in France, hell, if this happened in the United States and someone said, we want to raise the age for uh, social security benefits to start kicking in for the minimums, you know, I, I get that on the one hand, we can have, all have our ideology and say, look, uh, you know, th- this is better for the country's balance sheet. We need to do this, whatever. But just like you as a citizen, of course, you're going to be mad about it. Like, no one's going to be happy. So I don't know, just how would you kind of personally square this away with yourself, where even if you can look politically and say, oh, this has to get done, um, even though it's not a great idea because you're not going to be popular, like you have to do it financially. But at the same time, like for you as an individual voter, it's get, it's not good for you. Like, I don't know, wouldn't you like to retire early? You know, I don't know, travel a little, enjoy life. 
it's not good for me, but maybe we're everyone's just a little bit too selfish where no one wants to sacrifice anything for future generations. I mean, we talk about not even having enough people, like not even having enough children to sustain the economies we're creating, to put them in even a worse financial situation simply so we can get some free cash for the government in retirement. You know, to me, I, I think there is a trade-off I'm willing to make there. Maybe most people aren't. And maybe I can only say that because I am what, like 28 right now? Like I'm not near retirement. I was going to say, you're not so about to retire. So like. Maybe if I'm 60 years old right now, I'm like, I just can't work another goddamn two years. I'd be really pissed off. But I was just looking at the um, life expectancy rate. So in France, they actually have one of the higher life, life expectancies. And raising the retirement age by two years, the pension age, is not that big of a deal, given how much longer people are living nowadays. Now, it's a different story in America where we've kind of uh, leveled out in terms of a life expectancy and that's actually started to go down like we're basically where we were in like 2008 right now so in america it's a little bit of a different story but in france people are living longer if you're living longer you could probably work a little bit longer and if you're living longer you're receiving pensions for a longer period of time meaning the system's going to be drained even more well you're not necessarily working for longer and paying into the pension system because um, what's happening in France and in other Western countries is that people are entering the workforce later and later in life. They're delaying it more because of additional education, other issues. And so it's not just that we're living longer and can pay in for longer. It's also we're just in the system a little less. So is that true of everyone, though? I mean, like I have to imagine oh, not of there's everyone. still plenty of 18 year olds that are like, I need to make money to live. Maybe in Europe, it's we were talking about this before the show. In Europe, it's a little bit different. Their work culture is not quite like what it is in America. Maybe they're willing to stay at home longer and not actually join the workforce earlier. That That's a good point I hadn't considered. Well, that's part of what the part of what the debate is in France is. Well, one, if you just talk to young people, for example, folks who were around our age, um, you know, some people have been interviewed and they'll say, look, they don't think that the pension is even going to exist when they're older. So, you know, they're, they're kind of mad no matter what. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it's great, the same story raising... we have in America. It's what I would say about Social Security. I'm like, I'm paying into the Social Security that, you're that not I'm almost certainly from, yeah. not going to benefit for, that older people are voting for because they benefit for it, knowing in the end it's going to fall onto the future generations. And again, like, I understand people vote in their self-interest what's best for them completely understand that but at the same time does no one give a crap about like the future of the country or the nation or putting a burden onto the future generations like to me i feel that maybe other people don't feel that voters i guess if you're living hand to mouth you wouldn't feel that but if i'm a pri privileged position somewhat in my mind i'm like guys we should actually help our future generations not make life so difficult for them because right now we're creating all these social not creating we're living with all these social programs that are just not sustainable hopefully something like universal basic income becomes plausible ai technology is obviously blowing up maybe things become more automated but it seems like we're a far ways from that and we have to suffer in the meantime i want to bring critique in on this but before i do so i want to say two points the first point is that I looked into this a little bit, and France raised the retirement age from 60 to 62 about 10 years ago. So this isn't like it happened in the distant past. It's, it's somewhat recent, and it absolutely was not popular then. You had the same sort of outcry, the same sort of stuff. Um, and so the second point that I wanted to bring up was sort of uh, when Macron was being interviewed about this on French TV, the interviewer asked him, you know, why don't you just tax companies more? You know, all these corporations are bringing in a lot of profits. Why don't you just tax them more and use that money to pay for the pensions? Pratik, what are your thoughts on that? 
I think the problem is, is just that, I mean, you you looking at it from a Macron perspective, he's probably worried that all these companies are probably looking at not paying their full share of taxes anyway. So the challenge is, is that you're trying to bring as much money to come into the system. The problem with all this stuff comes around just the fact that the euro is a struggling currency. That's the biggest reason why all this stuff is happening in the first place. The challenge with France is that France and Germany are two of the biggest contributors toward the European Union system and in terms of the euro. Sure, you have Switzerland, Belarus, Luxembourg that are much stronger countries in terms of or not Belarus, sorry. Um, yeah, I was going to say Belgium. Belarus. Sorry. I got, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I meant Belgium. But you have certain countries like that that are really big benefactors towards the Euro system and do contribute. However, France has many more taxpayers. France has many more people. So France contributes more to the system than most of the other countries. Now, the challenge with all this stuff is just that in order to keep the European Union system alive, in order to keep the Euro flowing... They have to make certain changes to make it happen because it's already at a $13.5 billion euro annual deficit right now in terms of the pension system. So it's all the thing is that you can't really piss off the business owners that are the ones contributing the most to the taxes. But at the same time, you're pissing off all these people that are you're going to raise the pension age on. The challenge is, is that you're spending more than you're making. So with whenever you have more and more people that are getting the pension, so it's basically Social Security here, then you're running out of money. And the problem with France is they don't have enough money because their system is so interconnected with all these other European countries. Well, so like if you have some country like Greece and Italy that have a lot of financial trouble, then France is going to be have to chip be chipping in more. But then the system itself is like, you know, potentially going to fail. It's just one of those things. It's just like they have to make changes because they're spending more than they're making. Right. Um, I, I was going to say for Ma for Macron, he would sort of say the same thing you're saying, but he would frame it a little differently. So in yeah. that interview, he said that, you know, we're already taxing these corporations to pay for things like health care, for education, for other things. And we're not going to see cuts in that. So it was sort of like, OK, we already have pretty high tax rates. We want to incentivize business in the country because that's that's part of sort of the the backlash is also just like, hey, why are you raising pension, um, the age of retirement, when the work we already have available in France isn't of the quality that people necessarily want? Obviously, anywhere in the world, people would want there to be better working opportunities. I feel like it's a pretty fair argument. And so the opposition would say, look, the opportunities that are there right now aren't that great. And Macron would say, look, if we raise taxes exactly. on corporations in France, then that's actually going to make us less competitive and less businesses are going to want to come to France. And there's a lot more competition within the EU than there is, for example, in the US. Like someone wants to leave the US, we usually think of factories, you know, moving to Mexico or to China or, or what have you. For for the EU, I feel like the country's a little bit more interconnected, but I, I could be wrong on that. But I like you were I'm saying, like France and Germany. Wrong, France smart. and Germany are the powerhouses, like you were saying. But for the pensions, I will say it's not so much on the business side. The way the pensions are currently funded, it's through current workers. So there's a pool of money that you pay into as a worker, and that goes to a bunch of people at the end of it once they retire, and that's the pool of money. Like They're not bringing in funds from anywhere outside that system. So it's basically like, okay, without relying on other parts of French taxation, how do we fix the system itself so that it's self-sustaining? One, you can either you know, increase the retirement age, so lengthen the amount of time that people are paying into it in shorten amount of the time that they're receiving benefits, or you end up raising the rate that people pay into it. 
and basically front load it to say, all right, we're not going to raise the retirement age by two years, but instead you're going to have to pay more money every single year. What do you guys think about that idea? Because that's the other idea of changing it. I think what Macron is doing makes the most sense to me. The challenge is, is that whenever you start, you know, making people pay more into the system, the challenge still remains, like Tyler would have, like Tyler said with America, is that we don't know if this pension is going to exist that long period of time. So what your problem is, is that the more and more money you pay into the pension, it's going to reduce the average disposable income that you have for yeah. yourself. It feels like a sunk cost. Yeah. yeah. So you're not going to have as much money. You have more money. You're going to spend that money on other things. That's going to potentially lead to more tax revenue because you're going to spend it on other luxury goods or other things that you're going to buy. Hence, the challenge is, is that that will always remain a constant problem for them is that you're no matter what you do, they're going to somebody is going to lose out. The challenge is, is just that for them, for the French government, they're trying to create the most sustainable form of system to make sure that they're going to have a pension in the future, that these people are not going to suffer. But the problem is with all these people is that everybody looks at their short-term way of thinking. And that's fine. That's just how people are. If you are 50, if you're 59 and you're like, I'm going to get money whenever it, as soon as I turn 62, and now that turns into 64, obviously you're going to be pissed because you're looking forward to that pension you're going to receive. However, if you're 67 and you have the pension money, and then you're like, okay, well, they're going to raise it, that may mean that you're going to get more money in your pension. Hence, you'll probably be okay with it because you'll be like, all right, I'm going to get more money now. But it just depends on where well, you are in that situation. I think situation. they'd be okay with it because they've already... Exactly. They're already, they're in already getting they're locked it, into so, the right. pension. It doesn't matter if they raise the rate, so it would be better <laughs> for them because they're already locked in. Yeah, but I mean that goes to like votes. It's like a lot of the people voting. You would think that older people wouldn't want this to be the case, but anyone over that age of sixty-two right now is like, I don't know. You I don't really set. care what's actually happening. <laughs> well, here. the thing is, he's not running for re-election, and funnily enough, I could easily see someone like Le Pen's party using this as a talking point to say, look. You know, you voted for these guys and then they raised your retirement age and they turn their backs on you. You need to vote for me because I'm going to take care of you. Like I which which is funny because I think they're actually being responsible here. Like you were saying, there's really only two options. You either have everyone pay more now, which people don't want to do. They don't want to pay more now. And it's it seems awful to raise it, but it's it's only two years. And I understand that's going to keep going up over time, et cetera. But it being at 64, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Well, here's Maybe the here's the me. alternative. I'm not French, the third obviously. option is people just die earlier. You know, you make some sort of social pact where the second you turn 75, you all decide to go cliff jumping. And if you survive, great. And if not, so be it. You know, you can make so it like me, a ritual. You know, some people have coming of age let, rituals. Do you want to retire early or die early? <laughs> <laughs> let me. Those are your options. Let me break down the political system a little bit for you guys too for France. So you have these three main parties. You have the Socialist Party. You have Macron's. Ba- it's basically um, what is Macron's party called? It's kind of like Macron. Uh, on March is like kind of like the capitalist moderate party. And then you have the far right party, which is Marine Le Pen's party. So the big difference between Marine Le Pen and Macron is that Marine Le Pen is more focused on trying to reduce immigration, 
Britain. She's more focused on trying to remove themselves from the EU. The idea is that they want to have more autonomy for France. They want to, you know, uh, you know, broadcast French culture, French cult, uh, you know, like French like economics. They want to make whatever they can to make France great again. That's kind of like the logic behind Marine Le Pen's party. Not to take it away from the Trump side, but it's kind of like that. Is that wing that MAGA wing flavor, for France? Yeah. Yeah. It's right wing populism. Well, Emmanuel Macron is kind of like the Bush of France. Like that's the way you look at it. Like they're they're the conservative, like kind of Republican. They're a little bit more right, but they're not too far. Lo- they're not too far but see, right. He's kind of like Trudeau in a way, right? Yeah. It's that same type yeah. of flavor where he's like where he's a left, but also capitalist. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's like their his logic is that they're they're more fiscally responsible than Macron side, but at the same time they believe that there's some good sides to the socialist side and there's some good sides to the far right side. And this is like just a moderate. version version of that aspect well so, i don't think he's in favor of the far right no <laughs> i was no. gonna say no no, no i know pretty out but there in france what like, i would, france what in I was general is a lot more liberal. left-leaning than the that, United that's States. fair but what i'm saying is like in terms of like they would argue that yeah that you need to bring more immigrants into the system because you have all yep. these you know problems financially so the more and more people you have they're going to be contributing more to this pension but at the same time they're not going to be socialist where the aspect they're going to be like we're never going to raise the pension aid we're gonna raise taxes on the rich because they're thinking about it as that not being financially responsible for the country because they need the businesses for the economy to be stable but at the same time they may need to raise the pension age because that's gonna help the social security system or their pension system whatever they call it exist for a longer period of time so in all aspects like macron is like the most moderate kind of person that you could have running the show in france and it's kind of like that's to its detriment but it's also to his benefit but hence whenever things happen there's protests and riots in france and yet the issue here is that he's seen as authoritarian in circumventing (laughs) the democratic process because he's basically doing this unilaterally right he's not getting all this political buy-in to push it through it's very politically unpopular macron isn't run he's not legally able to run for another term right so he's not seeking re-election yeah and so for him he can do this but for other people they're looking for a re-election and it actually matters what they do politically and i would like to think that the french system same as any other democratic republic would be somewhat responsive to the voters and you know a bunch of voters are going to call in and say look you can't raise the pension age this is going to be a huge issue. Please don't do it. But Pratik, earlier you talked about suffering, and I briefly wanted to touch on that. I don't think, like before we transition away from France and back to the United States, because there's a lot of lineup here, I don't think this is the right time for them. Obviously, I'm not French. Obviously, I'm not you know passionate about this pension system right now, right? <laughs> but at the same time, just like looking at what's happened, we had COVID, we had Russia invading Ukraine. You have really high energy prices that have finally started to stabilize, but were high for a long time. You have food price hikes because of the war in Ukraine. Like, you have all this stuff that's going on in the background. And then on top of that, it's like the second France got out of that just quagmire, and now we have stresses in the banking system. And you're telling me that while all that is happening, you're going to say, oh, look, guys, you know what we should do? We should raise the retirement age people are gonna love that you know people are doing so well right now we should raise the retirement age like no like people are already not doing well in france relative to how they were doing a couple years ago just with these new stressors and so just politically i don't 
I get that he's not running for another term, and I get that yeah. financially it might make sense, but the projections are for this to start becoming an issue over sort of like the mid, so like 2025, 2026, 2027, and then sort of stabilizing by 2030 if you just leave the system alone, but it's still going to have issues. So it's like, I just don't know. It's not an immediate threat. It's not like this massive thing, but, but at the same time, you don't want to just ignore it. Like you can't just keep kicking the can down the road. And that's what he said. But uh, Tyler, that's what are your the, thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's never a convenient time to do this. I would say it's actually noble to do this because a lot of the times in leadership, you have to make decisions that aren't going to be necessarily popular. That's why we don't live in an absolute democracy. Even in France, they don't because... The, the people do, like the the people have an idea of what should be going on, but at the same time, there are sometimes tough decisions that need to be made. So it's like, do these French people again? They want the train to just derail in ten years, or do they want to start fixing the problem now? They're not having to pay more out of pocket; they're having to work longer, which I understand is awful. But the only alternative is to pay more out of pocket now, which would have been a bad move. And that's not what he's doing. He's just saying you guys have to work a little bit longer for the sake of the system itself. For the, for the future people that can benefit from the system, we need this to occur. Sure, we're raising the age, but at least we still have a pension. Imagine there is no pension for people in 10, 15 years. That doesn't make much sense. It's like, what is Le Pen? She, sure, she has political shots uh, against Macron and what he's doing now. But what would she do as an alternative? Just nothing? Just say, hey, I'm not going to do anything. And then a few years, we run into the same issue and deal with it then. I mean, to me, it is obviously kicking it down the road. I think Macron's doing the right decision. But again, without having lived in France, being in French culture, I don't really understand why the French people are so upset about this. I, I mean, I get it. You're having to work longer. But at the same time, it, j it just seems so reasonable. If we could fix our social security system in America by doing the same thing, I would be in support of it as well. So... I don't know. So Tyler would be in support of Ron DeSantis. That's what Tyler's saying over Trump. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am the biggest DeSantis supporter out there. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So in France, they, we were talking about elections. Let's talk about American elections. So in our election, Trump uses jail scare to score question mark. Alvin Bragg receives death threats. Biden's approval rating near low point. These are what's going on in our storylines here. So Alvin Bragg receives death threats. So a death threat letter containing white powder found its way to the mailbox of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. In the letter addressed to Bragg, it said, Alvin, I am going to kill you. The sources said, the FBI and the NYPD are investigating the letter that contained the death threat with the small amount of white powder. White Manhattan um, District Attorney Alvin Bragg office is investigating former president donald trump this was the latest of the several hundred threats aimed at bragg and his offices in recent weeks according to a senior law enforcement source a couple dozen of the messages were considered to be de directly threatening serious harm to bragg the source said so alvin bragg is a guy going after trump so this is important because he's like the district attorney that is investigating this whole Stormy Daniels case, the same case that Trump said that he's going to be in jail last Tuesday. And that but basically jail scare helped push Trump to the top. So right now, if you look at the Harvard Harris poll that has been going on, this is the most recent poll that took place on March 22 to March 23. That is of some sort of reputation because it comes from Harvard University. What the poll basically said is Trump is ahead of Ron DeSantis on one-on-ones, 
by 56 to 44 percent. But then you also look at the big scale. Trump is ahead of Ron DeSantis, 50 percent. He has 50 percent. Ron DeSantis is 24. And then Pence, Haley, Cruz, Tim Scott, Pompeo, Rubio and Ramaswamy are all after that. So they're all at lower digit numbers compared to Trump. Trump has taken a massive lead in the Republican primaries after he said that he's going to go to jail on Tuesday. And then on top of that, he's also in front of Biden now. So the most recent in that Harvard Harris poll, Trump had 45% to Biden's 41%. And that's something big, that's basic, big, big and shocking as well, because Trump has not always consistently been ahead of Joe Biden. Joe Biden has constantly been at the top of most of the polls that have been taken that have taken place against him and Trump. This is going back to 2020, whenever Joe Biden was running for president. So this is interesting, because Joe Biden is still obviously the number one contender in the Democratic primary, according to the poll. It's 41% him, and then Kamala Harris is at 11, and then Bernie Sanders comes to 7%. And then if you take out Biden, Kamala Harris is number one at 22%, and Hillary Clinton is at 13%. Because basically, Biden is the front runner to win the Democratic primary if Biden was to run. And the same thing can be said with Trump. But with Trump and DeSantis, it had been a much more closer con contested race. But if you were to just look at it from this week alone, DeSantis's poll numbers have dropped drastically and Trump's poll numbers have risen drastically. And to add to all this stuff, to all the mix up of what's going on, Biden's approval rate is at his nearest, is, is, is at its nearest low point. So this is the lowest Biden's poll numbers has ever been almost. And Biden's poll number is currently at 38%. So the interesting thing is that with all this stuff going on with the banking crisis, the high inflation, the foreign policy stuff going on, and then just the fact that gas prices have started to go up again, grocery prices are at really high rates, and then just the inflation just not going down, and plus the interest rates that keep hiking up to you know tackle the inflation rates going up, this is just one of those things that has had led Biden to have such a low approval rate. So the interesting thing to see is that with all this stuff going on, what's going to happen? Because Trump's district attorney is getting death threats. We don't know if it's from people that are Trump supporters. We don't know if it's people that are anti-Trump that want to, you know, raise up a stir by, you know, sending death threats to this guy. More than likely, it's probably Trump supporters, but we really don't know. Um, and on top of everything else, Trump is at the top because he said he's going to jail on Tuesday. He's still not in jail. They're investigating that he may go to jail sometime next week. We really don't know. The amount, the duration of the time he's in jail is probably not going to be that big. But the fact is that because Trump said he's going to jail and this looks like a witch hunt investigation because of Stormy Daniels would, out of all the, you know, different, you know, investigations that have been pinned on Trump. This is one of those things. It's interesting to see is whether Trump is at the top now because he said he's going to jail. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Sorry, it's a long yeah, story. Yeah, so, so um, in terms of this story, the most interesting thing to me is not this Alvin Bragg's receiving death threats. I mean, that it's a terrible thing that happened. Um, like Pratik had mentioned, we were talking about this before. We don't really know who did it. There are so many people that have a vested interest in either making Trump look good or bad or making there look like there's a witch hunt or making Trump supporters look like they're going to do another January 6th. Like, we really have no idea who's sending this sort of threat. Um, it's not totally uncommon that this sort of thing happens, but it does show an escalation of tensions at the very least. To me, the most interesting thing about all of this is Trump's ability to essentially create his own witch hunt and then capitalize on the witch hunt that he created. Now, by that, I mean he came out and said he was going to be arrested on a specific day. 
Now, whether or not they actually plan to arrest Trump, whether they were ever going to arrest him on that day, it's a little bit irrelevant because he was not arrested and he got to use that in his speeches. He was able to come out and say, there, there's a witch hunt against me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to take me out. And he actually was the one that announced it, that it was going to happen. If Trump didn't come out and say that he was going to be arrested, we wouldn't be talking about this story. Which is incredible. So, again, this guy's ability to create his own witch hunt and then capitalize it with his supporters is just outstanding. Whether you like Trump or not, his ability to get people to coalesce around his message, make them believe what he wants them to believe, is just phenomenal. And it just shows why you can never count him out. We're looking at these polls. The fact that he's ahead of Biden right now, I understand there are so many different implications, like the the inflation, uh, the war, everything you had mentioned. There, there's reasons people are upset with Biden. But for Trump to get that much support immediately after being threatened to be arrested is just crazy to me. Nick? Yeah, I mean, I, I would want to know when this polling was done, because usually these happen you know, a, l a little bit in advance of when they're published. So I wonder if that fully factored it in. I'm sure to some extent, but uh, I would just be kind of curious to to actually look at that. Scrolling through the poll itself, I'm I'm reading through it right now. And dude, what's crazy to me? One thing I keep getting hung up on is I would prefer that Joe Biden not run. And I hope that someone else ends up winning the primary on the Democrat side. I get that Joe Biden will probably end up running, like Pratik has said. Like, as much as I want to put my head in the sand and say, Joe Biden won't run, he's not going to do anything, like, he probably will, I guess, at this point, which is going to be sad. But I really don't want him to win. But some of the people in these polls, I'm like, all right, who else thinks like me, right? So 40% of respondents said that they think Joe Biden's going to lose the Democratic primary for president. I'm like, okay, cool, 40% hmm. of people. That's That's nice. So I look at this. They're my people, okay? Who do they think is going to win? 9% Kamala Harris. 9% Bernie Sanders. 9 or 6% Hillary Clinton. 5% Elizabeth Warren. Who are these people? Also, <laughs> Stacey Abrams at 2%. Like, okay, I get Stacey Abrams at 2%, whatever. You want to dream, you can dream. But, like, <laughs> these people literally have, like, no grip on reality if they genuinely believe that Hillary Clinton or um, Elizabeth Warren. Like, the fact that people think Elizabeth Warren could ever be a winning candidate on a national stage is just mind-blowing to me. Like, I, I genuinely don't know who these people are who would respond to the poll and genuinely think. not. And this isn't asking, who do you want to win? If it was, who do you want to win, that's fine. If you like Elizabeth Warren, you like Elizabeth Warren. But who do you think is going to win? And 5% say Elizabeth Warren? Like... I don't know, something is seriously wrong with the mental capacity of people answering these polls. And these are the same people that say they doubt Joe Biden's mental capacity. The majority of people say they doubt it and that they're also concerned about his old age. So just overall, like looking at these polls, highly recommend doing it. You'll see these numbers and you'll really question like, who are these people that answer this poll? What universe do they live in? And why did they think the way they think? Because I am just at a loss. But for a Trump running, I mean, look, the guy's got star power. The more you feed into the story of him being pro prosecuted and persecuted and people going after him, like you were saying, Tyler, I totally agree that the thing being sent to the DA, it's sad. It does happen. Um, but again, like there, there's no background yet. The investigation's still ongoing. And if they find that it was a legitimate threat, that really sucks. Like, that's not great to hear. But it could be, again, someone just doing some BS. So... I don't want to comment too much on that right now, but again, still unnerving for him and his family. Uh, at the same time, 
DeSantis, that's really surprising because you've seen like this momentum behind DeSantis. And now that he's in the limelight, Trump is starting to hit back at him. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like seeing the two on the debate stage is like where it's really going to shine. But I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. Pretty we already know what's going to happen on that de- debate. Oh, stage, Trump man. is going to look Trump as much as people him. like DeSantis. They're like, oh, this guy's so calm, cool. You know, he, he believes in all of our conservative tenants. Get him on a debate stage with Trump and he'll look like a toddler. Like th- this is the thing about Trump one on one. It's very hard to beat the man, even if you're calm, even if you have the right message. All of that doesn't matter because we saw the exact same thing happen in 2016. Again, like someone like Jeb Bush, like you could say what you want about the dude, but he was relatively calm. He had the political dynasty. He had a lot of political points. He was pretty reasonable overall, but he just stands no chance against a populist like Trump who's able to convince people of his message of the fraud. So many people in this country believe that that election was stolen, whether or not you do or not. He still uses that information in his campaign speeches. He still tells people it was fraud. We actually got more votes in 2020 in 2016 we won by a greater margin but they stole it from us and like that's coming from his latest speech so i i don't know man i i think trump's gonna edge out desantis for you know sure. whether he wins the general i don't know the fact that trump DeSantis. will repeatedly say that he got more votes in florida than desantis did and it's like trump didn't win florida by that much desantis won florida by a lot like 1.6 million votes like desantis crushed whoever was running as the democrat and less people voted in that election as well. So, like, overall, DeSantis did way better than Trump. Whoa. And yet Trump is just going to take the gross Maybe. number and say, oh, look, I'm going to win Florida. <laughs> you can't even yeah. win in your own state. It's, it's, you it's owe me, DeSantis. Like, perception is how Maybe. people view it. Maybe people in Florida like Joe Biden more than the guy that Ron DeSantis was running against. Hey, that's Who's fair. Thought? <laughs> that's, but, that's a good point as well. But one thing, one thing I'll say with this whole story is just that that's part. I agree with both what you guys have been saying. Like that's part of the message is that Trump can beat anybody on a, in a debate stage. That's a part of the, the flavor and the brand that Trump comes up, comes in with. The reason why I keep hyping up Biden is I really do think Biden is a good democratic candidate. Like, I mean, sure, we could complain about all the faults that Biden has, but the fact is that Biden is that wish list that Democrats look for. He's that guy that fits all of the different brackets. He's the establishment guy. He was Obama's vice president. He's been in office now, so he's an incumbent. He's more moderate than all these other people. He's not going to do something drastic. He's not going to raise the taxes to like 70% for everybody. Like he's he comes up with ideas that are reasonable for all the Democrats to get behind without them feeling pissed off about the ideas. And I just think that that's something that Biden comes in with. And I don't think any other candidate really in this list really has that. Sure, maybe Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg. But are Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris really that well-liked compared to Joe Biden? I don't think so. Maybe. But I feel like most of the Democrats, they don't like Kamala Harris either. Like, it's just one of those things. But if you look at their poll numbers, Biden constantly wins. Biden wins in a field of 20 candidates. He wins in a field of six candidates. He constantly can potentially beat Trump. There's no other Democrat that can beat Trump in terms of polling data except Joe Biden. And that's probably why Joe Biden won in 2020. And that's probably why he won the presidential election. It's just there's certain things about this guy that Democrats always underestimate and undervalue the value that Joe Biden really brings to the table. And I do think that with Donald Trump, he's better than all these other candidates. 
He's better. He's a better speaker than all these candidates. I may not like his opinions as much as some of the other candidates, but the fact is that when you put Joe, whenever you put Donald Trump on a debate stage, Donald Trump can clean sweep the floor. And I really do think that if there's anybody else from any of these random candidates that Democrats have, Donald Trump could beat any of these people too. Maybe not Bernie Sanders. I don't know. Bernie Sanders is pretty good on the debate stage, but I also feel like the same like same complications and the problems that Democrats have with Joe like Biden. Health and age. Yeah, yeah. but that, Bernie's that sharper with mentally. Bernie. That's yeah. the thing. Like Bernie's but, way, way more on top. But, but Bernie's also much more left. That's the challenge with Bernie. I don't think Bernie's a very electable figure because he's so much further left than all the other Democrats. Like we can complain about Elizabeth Warren being far left or AOC being far left. Bernie Sanders is the face of that far left movement. He's like what you think of when you think of socialists. Like you're like, oh, who are the socialists in America? The number one person that comes to your mind is Bernie Sanders. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that just kind of is what Bernie Sanders is. It's a self point but it's also his con that doesn't make him electable so i just think that if you look at it in the grand scheme of things is basically trump trump regardless of all the things that have been going on is what i said in the last few episodes i'm going to say it again the more and more democrats like to talk about trump the more and more investigations that get hyped about trump the more and more things that are going on about trump is constantly putting trump in the limelight and that's what's leading to his poll numbers being much greater than everybody else right now had Democrats stopped talking about Donald Trump after January 6th happened, had they just kind of killed off Trump, Trump lost, he's a has-been, then, then, what is it, Ron DeSantis may be the number one candidate, and then Donald Trump may not be that important, but the fact is that because they kept talking about Donald Trump, Donald Trump is back to where he was before, and that's just my thought process on the whole topic. That's fair. I think, I could be wrong on this, but I did see um, some polling uh, back in the summertime where basically like whenever a bad story came out about Trump, people were reminded how much they disliked him and he would go down to the polls. And so I think like the jail story is a very different sort of timeline because he can spin it in a bunch of different ways. But if it was, for example, the mishandling of classified documents, which again, he hit Hillary Clinton very hard on when he was running. It's like that type of stuff actually doesn't do that well for him. So it I get your point about the Democrats, but I think it's just like what they hit him on, right? I think it's the actual topic that he's being hit on as opposed to if they go after him at all. Um, but but you're right. Once he does get news attention, he's like a lightning rod. He's a pro with it. He does really well. But I briefly wanted to just correct what I said earlier when I said I don't know when this was when this was run. So this poll was um, conducted between March 22nd to 23rd. I guess that's one of the benefits of online polls across uh, 2,905 registered voters with Harvard X Harris. And so, yeah, it, it turns out that they did hear about Silicon Valley Bank. They heard about Trump with the jail stuff. They knew it was a thing. And like you guys were saying, they hear about the jail story and he goes up and over DeSantis. Makes sense. Well, I want to just go back briefly to what uh, Pratik was saying before. Pratik, you had mentioned something about Democrats not being able to see the value in Biden that he actually provides. And I think you're right that Biden actually does provide value that does go unnoticed by many Dem Democrats. But I think that's because Biden was never elected because he was Biden. Biden was always elected because he was a moderate counterpoint to Trump that could beat him. And it was never about Biden doing well or we like Biden or his policies are great. It's like this guy's not Trump and he's not going to screw things up too bad. And I think that it does provide a tremendous amount of value, but it doesn't incentivize or energize voters to get out there and vote for him, which is part of the problem. It's like, will they come out again 
to be the counterpoint to Trump? Will 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 they elect Biden because he is not Trump again? Probably. Think, and that, that's helpful. But you don't inspire people to vote for you in that way. And Trump actually inspires people to vote. Vote. So that, that that is one weakness I see in Biden. It's like he provides value, but it goes unnoticed by voters. So that might hurt him in the election. I just think my problem with the whole system is just that if you replace Biden with any of these other candidates, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Newsom, I think Gavin Newsom, California governor, Stacey Abrams, AOC, Manchin, Klobuchar, Cuomo, or Williamson, they'd all lose against Trump. I really don't think any of those other candidates really spark that same level of firepower that Biden does. And sure, Biden doesn't spark firepower, but at least with Biden, people can consolidate around him. If anything, no, Biden is everybody's second choice, but being somebody's second choice <laughs> is good enough to help you win an election. I just think that that's the true fact of it all. Like, like, look, Nick may not think Biden is the best, but if Biden was running against somebody else, it'd be like, yeah, maybe I would support Biden. I just think that's the thing with Biden is that now, plus now you're adding in the fact that he's an incumbent. Most incumbents don't lose. Had COVID not happened, I still think Donald Trump would have probably won that election too. It's just one of those things is that whenever something really, really big happens, it's going to potentially make mess you up from winning an incumbency election. But apart from like Ronald Reagan clean sweeping the floor against Jimmy Carter in the 19, 1980s, like since then, like usually incumbents always win. Or like when Bush Sr. ran against Bill Clinton and Bush, Bush Sr. had an 85% approval rating. That thing even throws off the fact that approval ratings really matter because all it takes is a third party candidate to run and you're like, all right, well, maybe something will change. I just think that there's certain things that shake up certain stuff. But the fact is that when you're an incumbent, you have an advantage. And I don't think that Joe Biden is has done anything enough to harm his way that people look at him from the Democratic side. Republicans are not going to vote for him. That's a fact. The fact is also that Democrats hate Donald Trump more than they hate any other Republican. That's another fact. But it's just certain things like that help Joe Biden actually be a good candidate compared to everybody else that you can put there in front of him. And I think any Republican will tell you that same thing regardless of however they feel about Joe Biden. And that's the fact about Joe Biden is that, yeah, everybody doesn't like the guy because of X, Y, Z different things. But in the end of the day, he's still better than everybody else. You know, it's funny to critique is that like, not even just the Democrat side, I think with the Republicans as well. Like, Pratik, we talked about this in previous shows. Like, if if someone else is running on the Democrat side, Republicans would hate them so much more. Oh, my God. Joe exactly. Biden is like a very middle-of-the-road moderate candidate. I know yeah. Republicans don't like him. But out they of all the Democratic Democrat. candidates, they'd probably be they'd probably be happy that Joe Biden yeah, is president yeah. and not one of the other Democratic exactly. candidates. Exactly. Especially and if so, you talk to regular people about that, like regular moderate Republicans, at least in the Northeast, would say, oh, yeah, Biden's fine. I mean, like he's basically a Republican. I mean, he's not super liberal. We're OK with that. And, and it's the same thing for Democrats, where Trump has all of his personal baggage. But if you just took some of his ideas and put it into another human being, I think Democrats would be, f I, I personally would be more fine with that than someone like DeSantis, who I view as a religious zealot. But I, mm -hmm. again, I, that may not be fair to DeSantis, but just first glance, like Trump, for all of his rhetoric and his personal flaws, I'm more okay with his political ideas than I am with DeSantis's political ideas, which I see as further to the right and less palatable for me personally.
But that's so. part of the problem with Trump. It's like for the moderates, you're like, all right, this guy's ideas are fine, but then he goes out and does something that causes chaos that I just don't want to see in my political system. Like, for and example, for, for Democrats or for people on the left right now, both parties really, like both parties are like, hey, let's stop invading other countries. Generally, that's that's what people are thinking. And it's like Trump ran on that. Like That was part of his thing. Like a lot of like the working class focus that both parties have, like Republicans have that working class focus now because of Trump. Like that was a big part of his messaging. Both sure, you may not like him on immigration, similar. but like, yeah, no, it's it is really interesting. But again, at, at both ends, like if you had DeSantis versus Bernie, it would be a very different election, you know, but yeah, it's but it's like, who's who do you get? Like we're thinking about international politics. It's such a big thing. Uh, for pol- for our politicians to be aware of and focused on nowadays, um, but it's not something that seems to affect domestic voting as much. But it's still really important. So, what's been going on abroad? All right. So, with sparks flying in Syria, is America's war with Iran on the horizon? That's the that's the big question here. So, a drone fired by Iranian-backed forces hit a U.S. coalition base in Syria. A U.S. contractor and five U.S. service members were killed in the Iranian strike, and a second U.S. contractor was wounded. Following the attack, Defense Secretary Lord Austin said in a statement that U.S. Central Command forces retaliated with, quote, precision airstrikes against facilities in eastern Syria used by groups affiliated with Iran's Revolutionary Guard. The DOD said the intelligence community had determined the unmarial, uh, unmanned aerial vehicle used in the Thursday attack was of Iranian origin. Now, in response to this, Joe Biden on Friday warned Iran that the United States would act forcefully to protect Americans. Another three attacks by Iranian-backed forces took place on U.S. military bases in Syria since the retaliatory U.S. airstrikes, where another U.S. service member was wounded. These Iranian attacks on American bases were in the southeast of the Syrian province of uh, Dale- Deir el-Zur. Deir yeah, el-Zur. Thank you, Pratik. I appreciate that. And near the Alomar oil field. Uh, U.S. forces first deployed, just for background, uh, into Syria during the Obama administration's campaign against the uh, IS, ISIL, uh, partnering with a Kurdish-like group called the Syrian Democratic Forces. There are about 900 U.S. troops in Syria today, most of them in the eastern part of the country. U.S. troops have been attacked kind of on and off by Iranian-backed groups about 78 times since the beginning of 2021. And while the Islamic State has lost the areas of Syria and Iraq, that it, this is ISIL, that it ruled over in 2014, uh, there are still some sleeper cells that carry out hit-and-run attacks uh, in places where the U.S.-like coalition and the Syrian government, neither of them have full control. So they're kind of these terrorist cells operating within the gaps. So Pratik Tyler, you know, honestly with Syria, it's like everyone remembers Obama's red line and that wasn't enforced, um, didn't want to get involved in another conflict too much. Obviously, we still have some troops on the ground. Like, what do you guys think that this is going to do? Do you really think there's going to be any sort of escalation with Iran here or is this sort of just run of the mill? This stuff happens on and off and we're going to forget about it in a week. I think we're always skirting with the war with Iran. And that's been the case since like even 2012. Like since Obama was in office, we, at that time we're worried about the Iran nuclear deal. We're trying to get something together. The idea behind that was 
we had a lot of um, heightened escalations with Iran that was going on. And then, especially whenever Assad situation was going on and Iran was providing the weapons and stuff towards the people that were chemically bombing citizens in Syria, and then they were trying to help promote ISIS. And then after that, um, whenever the Trump administration comes in, they basically tear apart the Iran nuclear deal, and they take even a harsher approach on Iran, trying to shut down Iran, and then they basically eliminate ISIS to a T, but ISIS is still around. And then now in the current administration, it started with Joe Biden trying to ease out relations with Iran, trying to take a harsher approach against Saudi Arabia, and now we're basically back to where we were before. So it's just one of those things that no matter what we do, Iran is kind of like the people that have always have always like created attacks and assaults against the U.S. foreign, um, you know, foreign armies that have been in the Syrian and Middle Eastern areas. They are they're they're one of the biggest backers of all the terrorist groups that attack the U.S. If anything. Our ideology and Iran's ideology have always been, you know, at odds with one another, especially since the 1970s. This is one of those things is that Iran hates the United States with a passion. And if anything, Iran is one of those countries that America as a whole can get behind being an attacking, uh, being on attack with. It's just the thing is Iran always does the sketchy stuff. They're always supporting the people that we're against. They're always, you know, providing assistance to the terrorists that are going to bomb us. And the fact is that America has never taken that harsh of approach against Iran, no matter how much that they really wanted to do so. And this is one of the things is that we've skirted with almost going to war with Iran at least a few times in the Trump administration, whether it was killing that general, um, whether it was, you know, the attacks on the Syrian air bases, whatever that was going on. If anything, Iran has always been America's like, you know, enemy. The challenge with all this stuff too, is that Iran and Russia are also allies. But the fact is, is that nowadays Russia and America are also at heavy odds against each other too. So all these things are just calculations that have to be put into place. But the fact is that Iran and the US have never had good relations. I don't think that they will ever have good relations. And now that they're allies with China much more, that they're even allying with Saudi Arabia, who also hates us now, it's just kind of making it the situation that Iran and the US are at more hostility than they probably ever were before. Yeah, and I, I echo that. I think it's more than before. And while these aren't severe escalations, I will say the fact that Saudi Arabia and Iran are having something brokered by China and Russia is a big ally of Iran like that. These are kind of the dividing lines. If we we're to have it in another world war, it's like, what side are you taking? I mean, clearly people are the lines are being drawn and these es these escalating tensions, I think, are happening also because Iran actually has nuclear capabilities now we saw an article a few months ago about them enri enriching their uranium almost to the point where they could have nuclear missiles i'm sure if they're not there already they will be there soon which probably gives them the gall to go out and make these sorts of attacks knowing it's harder to respond to them if they are actually a nuclear nation so with all that said i think it is an escalation it's a little bit scary to see and i think you know probably the Turkish elections are going to be another contentious point because they're right around that area. The fact we have Erdogan, um, we were going to talk about this after. I might as well bring it up now. Um, he, he, he did call Russia and ask for an end to the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. But because of the earthquake, he might be ousted out of office. And, he, you know, we've seen him be basically be an authoritarian dictator before. Is he willing to turn? And what would how would that shake up that area of the world? I don't know. But a lot of interesting stuff going on right now. Nick? Yeah, so for, for the Turkey stuff, let's just talk about it now. Um, so 
look, Turkey's always played this weird neutral game between when the Cold War was going on, it was sort of like, oh, well, they're right next to Russia, so they didn't want to piss off the USSR. And then for the United States, we were like, hey, guys, can we can we put some weapons <laughs> where you're at? That would be pretty nice. And they were like, yeah, why not? So um, they've always kind of played both sides in conflicts and tried to stay a little neutral. I mean, if you go back to the Ottoman Empire, they got their butts kicked. But, you know, that aside, dude, Turkey overall, like the only per- the only country that Turkey truly hates is Greece. Like, that's it. Like everyone else, I feel like is kind of chill. The Greeks and the Turks hate each other because of the islands that they're all always beefing over. It's like, oh, is this a is this a Turkish island? Is this a Greek island? Like they go back to all these historical documents and just yell at each other. And it's like that's part of the reason why Greece is one of the biggest spenders in terms of just percentage of GDP on its military in Europe before the Russia Ukraine war, uh, because they were they were always beefing with Turkey and they were like, man, we gotta actually pay for national defense stuff because you know it could be the gloves off at any point wasn't actually going to go to a war but yeah turkey look for erdogan tyler you brought up a good point about the earthquake where um the response to that is really going to be seen as important politically right um if it's a bad response if turkey doesn't recover well and for folks who don't know this is um an earthquake that happened very recently it really hit the country hard and then like a week after it had another earthquake that hit again and so just overall turkey's infrastructure took took a bit of a hit um and it's still recovering but with the iranian story to pratik's point yeah i don't think we're going to be friends for a long time like again if you want to point back to the historical narrative like politically what future iranian party would ever be friendly with the united states and what future u.s party would be friendly with iran I don't think there is one, at least not for the next 50 years or so. Like, not in our lifetime are we really going to be close. Um, and so it's, I I hope it never ends up going into war. But at the same time, I just don't think we're going to be friends. Like, that's, that's just kind of, we're never going to have like this hippies movement, peace and love and whatever. The Iranians <laughs> can be like, all right, well, the Americans supported, you know, the training of the secret police force that terrorized the country for so long and learned directly from the CIA and we don't like you guys and you know you tried to oppose the revolution and you know we kicked you out and you're just these old imperialists who we don't want anything to do with you go bother someone else right and us being involved in the middle east they would see that as an over, an overreach and us trying to get into affairs that are not in our own backyard and there there's the whole thing you can kind of get it in terms of the rhetoric but in any case, um, Pratik Tyler, do you guys briefly want to just talk more about the Turkey thing, or do you want to go to kind of what's going on with Russia with repositioning missiles and uh, ultimately tying in DeSantis here and his thoughts? Yeah, we can go there. I just want to mention that, I mean, you said we'll never be with friends with Iran in our lifetime. Well, I never thought Saudi Arabia and Iran would have any sort of relationship in our lifetime. So the fact <laughs> that true. that might happen says anything is possible. All right, moving on. Russia plans to station tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, Putin says, uh, which is west of Russia on Ukraine's long northern border. It's among allies, uh, Moscow's closest allies in the region. It helped uh, Russia launch its initial invasion of Ukraine in t- uh, February of 2022, allowing the Kremlin's troops to enter the country from the north. There have been fears throughout the conflict that Belarus will again be used as a launching ground for an offensive or that Minsk's own troops will join the conflict. 
Putin remarks in the interview on Saturday build on comments made in December at a joint news conference with President Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus in Minsk when the Russian leader said Moscow has trained Belarusian pilots to fly jets capable of carrying special warheads. During the conference and addressing the Russian leader, Lukashenko also said, Today we put the S-400 air defense system that you transferred to Belarus into a state of combat readiness, and most importantly, the Iskander system, which you have also handed over to us after promising it half a year ago. So this is just another increasing tensions in the region. We have nukes possibly being moved into Belarus, which is located west of Russia, north of Ukraine, so it's, you know, very strategically advantageous at this time really just putting pressure on the ukrainians to show we're not messing around here we have the ability to nuke you guys and we could probably do that at any moment so be ready um to me this is more posturing than actually presenting a setup to launch these nuclear systems what are your guys thoughts i think i think it's kind of scary just that you know is this is the fact that russia has a lot of influence over all the other soviet union countries that you know used to be a part of the soviet union and no matter what their military presence is no matter how strong they are this is just the fact is that they still have a lot of influence over all these other countries like belarus and the challenge is is that whenever we're ever going to have any type of um you know any type of international problems this is a situation that is going to come into play is that, yeah, Russia is still like, you know, basically controls a lot of these other countries like Belarus. There was a point whenever we thought that Russia controlled Ukraine and then Ukraine basically went away from Russia and started to skirt with trying to join the UN. And then that kind of became a big thing. Not UN, sorry, NATO. But the fact is that nowadays we just have to look at this stuff in a different light and it's just scary to me that this war conflict could still go on for a while. The idea is that, yeah, sure, um, you know, Ukraine has done a really good job at trying to fight off the Russians and America has done a lot of stuff to supply Ukraine to help them out and they've done a pretty good job. But the problem is that you don't know how long it's going to last. And Russia, in the end of the day, has nuclear weapons. They have other things that they have in terms of their arsenal. They're also allies with all these countries that could probably finance them to go on even for a longer period of time, like China, if they don't come up with some peace broker deal as it is. So this is just something that you know we have to keep into account and just look at in terms of that aspect is that you know russia has a lot of influence in the area they have a lot of allies in the area they may not be liked by us and a lot of the western countries that are trying to ban them and start putting tariffs on them but in the end of the day they are still a major force even if their military isn't performing that well today that to the t that they thought whenever they originally invaded ukraine yeah i think it's just posturing right so Belarus is closer to Ukraine than Kaliningrad is. Kaliningrad is this sort of port um, territory that's over to the west, actually, of Lithuania and Belarus. And it's on the border with Poland as well. So Russia already has a territory that's in Europe um, that's more to the west than Belarus. But again, at the same time, like saying that you're going to position it closer to Ukraine I think it's it's just rhetoric. Like, is the United States going to change anything in response to this? No, I don't think so, because this isn't like this isn't really a serious escalation. This is more just, oh, we're moving them a little closer. Like, so what? So what? So what? Well, DeSantis has some comments on this whole situation as well. Pratik. So DeSantis calls Putin a war criminal and makes his Ukraine opinions known. 
So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sought to clean up his previous comments calling Russia's invasion of Ukraine a territorial dispute, telling British journalist Piers Morgan instead that President, Russian President Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. DeSantis faced mounting criticism from Republicans over his earlier comments on Ukraine, including from Senators Marco Rubio of Florida, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, and John Cornyn of Texas, who all publicly broke with DeSantis after the governor rejected additional funding for Ukraine. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who was considering a 2024 bid, called DeSantis naive over his Ukraine stance. But during an interview with Morgan set to air this week, DeSantis called Putin a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons, repeating a similar line he had used in earlier March to describe the Russian leader. Both lines echoed a 2014 quip from then-Senator John McCain, Republican from Arizona, in which he said, Russia is a gas station masquerading as a country. I think Putin's hostile to the United States, but I think the thing that we've seen is he doesn't have the conventional capability to realize his ambitions, DeSantis said, according to Fox News. And so he's basically a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons. And one of the things we could be doing better is utilizing our own energy resources in the United States. DeSantis, who is widely expected to jump into the 2024 presidential race after Florida's legislative sessions in May, has faced increasing attacks from Donald Trump and other Republicans for his comments on Ukraine and his perceived disloyalty to the former president who declared in November that he's running for president. So what are your thoughts on DeSantis, his comments on Russia, and just DeSantis in general? Does he have a shot? I mean, look, I think this shows that it's surprising to me, you know, because a lot of candidates that you'll see who have a military background, DeSantis was uh, in JAG, so uh, on the judge's side of the military. So it's, it's sort of a different position than just like grunt level infantrymen. Um, and it doesn't have the same respect, I don't think. Although weirdly enough, JAG is seen as like this very prestigious thing that if you're in it, like, oh, wow, very impressive. Uh, but in terms of politics, that's in terms of like real life. In terms of politics, it's like, you know, if you're not out there on the front line, if you're just, you know, cooking, cooking hamburgers on some ship, like, all right, who cares? You know, you served, that's great. But like, th there's no like big political messaging you can do apart from like, oh, yeah, I was a veteran. Like, for example, you see that with Pete Buttigieg, like Pete Buttigieg served in the military. Like he didn't make a huge deal out of it, but it was still like a positive thing. So for DeSantis, someone with a military background, it's seen as a positive thing. But at the same time, I'm just surprised that someone who calls out the fact that he's a veteran consistently doesn't know anything about the biggest conflict going on right now. Like having that initial comments of, oh, it's just a territorial dispute. I don't know any better. It, it's so patronizing and stupid. And it, it, to me, it's like he listened to some Fox News clip and he's like, oh, wow, Tucker Carlson said this a year ago. I should say this, too. And it, to me, it's just unimpressive and dull. Like now that he's changed his tune. Yeah, the, the gas station comment, that's the staple comment that everyone makes. Anyone who's ever looked at Russia will say, oh, they're just a big gas station. I've said that on the show like two years ago. OK, like that is the standard <laughs> comment that people make. All right. So this yeah. whole thing, it's like, all right, he said something stupid. He updated it. And now he's going to stick with the updated clear tagline it's sort of like when trump came into the race last time and said oh to get to north korea we should go we should work with china because china has all the leverage it's like that is what literally anyone will tell you it is a very accepted position and it demonstrates zero critical thinking of any kind on the candidate's behalf 
but you're at least able to say it's like a kid going to class right you go to class and your second grade teacher says two plus two plus three is five and then you're up on the debate stage and say they say desantis what is two plus three and at, at the start he said four he was wrong but now he's up to five and good on him but for me like this <laughs> i don't know like i genuinely wonder like if he said anything about this like 20 years ago right if that was the case fine he has an original opinion but I bet he doesn't because, again, no, the no territorial way. dispute thing. Sorry I'm going in so hard, you guys. It just, like, I like it. amazes I like it. me to going. no end when Republicans who paint themselves as the party as being competent when it comes to the military and international affairs, somehow DeSantis, who's the front runner, is a total moron. And, and it's like this guy is painting himself as smart with a military background who knows how to navigate America going into this next decade. You know, trust him. We're going to be good. The American energy thing. Yeah, again, it's throwaway line. Everyone says that. Literally everyone says that. So I'm not impressed. I thought it was f- good that he recovered and said the, the quote unquote right thing that everyone says. But again, I think it goes to show, at least for me, that like DeSantis, I don't know if he's just going to, you know, say whatever he thinks is going to be popular or if he actually has any sort of moral substance and character to him himself. I genuinely don't know what the man is about when it comes to international affairs. And when you're asked a, a layup, like this is an easy question. This is like a little lob to a five-year-old, right? To say, oh, hit it back and we'll be fine. It's If you can't do well on that, it. I don't know. I don't know what that says. So anyway. He just didn't want to provide funding. That's the reason he said that. He's like, it's not a war, so I don't have to give you guys money. And I could say I'm fiscally conservative and I'm going to be on the rights. That's why he took that position. But after everything's played out the way he has, he has to recant that for the election. This is all in preparation for him to run so he can say that he was in support of us actually defending Ukraine because it's been popular with Biden. Biden's actually gotten some political points from actually engaging with Ukraine and actually standing with them, supplying them with arms. That's a really good point, Tyler. I want to hand it over to Pratik. Very yeah. quickly, I, I will totally concede that. Like, it, it is a valid thing to say to what extent should we be sending money to Ukraine. And obviously, it's a popular talking point for good reason that if we continue sending money abroad and don't have more of it at home, that's going to leave you open to political attack. And so it's very easy to say, look, we shouldn't get involved in this part of the world. It's between Ukraine and Russia. We're spending so much money. People are struggling at home. We should have more of that money spent at home. Like, it makes sense. So I get it. But again, just, yeah, ugh. Uh, you make like a it. good point and I'm <laughs> mad about it. Yeah. I like I like Nick's rant. And I think the other thing is like I remember well, back in the day whenever it was 2016. Like I was one of those people that was a lot, really interested in foreign affairs. And I remember like hearing from Donald Trump back then and we were like, well, Donald Trump doesn't really have that much knowledge about international affairs. Like, what is he going to do? Like, he he never really said anything either. Donald Trump was a really good candidate in the fact that he never really mentioned up front what his thoughts were. He basically just let Rubio and Cruz fight it out. Really good candidate. Like, and that (laughs) the fact is like, I was always on the Rubio train back then. Like, I still believe that Rubio was one of the most smartest thinkers when it came to foreign policy. And that's part of why he's on the Foreign Affairs Committee and he's one of the leaders in that Foreign Affairs Committee. I just think one of those things is that you have to understand what the situation is. 
the benefit with Donald Trump is that he's been in office. Whether you not whether or not people like the fact that he was isolationist, whether or not people like the fact that he wasn't that hardcore on certain, you know, certain issues, he didn't send military to certain places, and then the fact is that we kind of, you know, were trying to move away from Afghanistan at the time. The fact is that with Donald Trump, he's been in office. If anything, that's a plus point. Whether or not we know what Donald Trump is going to do in any of the situations, whether or not we know how Donald Trump is going to interact with the Russia-Ukraine thing because of the situation and the fact that he was kind of friends with Putin, the idea in the end of the day is that with Donald Trump, he was in office, so that's a plus point. He was an incumbent. So we know that he was he's going to be able to survive for four years if he's able to become president in terms of foreign policy. The challenge with DeSantis is that no one really knows anything that DeSantis believes. DeSantis is a governor of Florida. That's great. He's done a really good job as a governor of Florida. He's done a lot of things that, you know, really piss off Democrats. That in terms of the socially conservative side, it's probably also a good thing to rile up the Republican base. But the fact is, is that in terms of like, in terms of what are you going to do when you're in office, you have to have all these things like, you know, set, set in stone, because as soon as you become president, the Russia-Ukraine war is still going to be going on. This isn't like some kind of like, this isn't like the Iraq war that happened in 2008. You can have like, it's 2006 to 2008. You can have opinions about like, oh man, we shouldn't have done this. This was wrong. Like you're in this situation. It's not like this is something that's going on long time away. It's not like Aleppo where, what is his name? That libertarian guy didn't know where Aleppo was. This is a situation where this is constantly going on right now. And you have to have opinions about it. Whether or not your opinions are like Trumpian opinions, whether or not your opinions are more like neocon, like Marco Rubio, you have to have thoughts. And the fact with DeSantis is that if he doesn't have these solid thoughts, that's a challenge. And he should get his act together because if he is going to run against Donald Trump, Donald Trump is going to tear you apart on these issues. Whether or not you like what Donald Trump believes about Russia and Ukraine, I'm pretty sure that Donald Trump probably has solid opinions one way or another on what he feels about it. So DeSantis needs to get his act together because the fact is that DeSantis is probably is not looking that great when it comes to international foreign policy, and that might be a detriment to him. It might be. But then remember what I was saying before. It's like, do the Americans actually care that much about foreign things that don't directly affect their day to day? And if you're not keeping up with them continually with the news, you probably wouldn't even know that much about them. Um, one, one last comment I want to make. You know, we we're talking about how DeSantis had military experience. Well, Trump, too, had military experience. He said avoiding STDs in the 80s was my per personal Vietnam. Um, so let's all remember that comment talking about how just dating in the 80s and the era of AIDS and STDs was his Vietnam and that he always felt a little bit guilty about not being drafted because of a foot problem, as oh he quoted it God. saying in 2015. So something we should realize, it's like, oh, we could talk about how Trump did in office uh, politically and militarily, but to say his experience going into it was... If Nothing is And if you're least. conservative, let's be honest, if you're a conservative and you're going to be voting and you're all about the military, you're probably voting for Donald Trump over any of these other candidates, even if Donald Trump doesn't have an ounce of military experience. That's the fact of life. Like that's that's his people, the patriots, the make America great again motto. That's his people. Those people are going to vote for Trump. They're willing to abandon people like John McCain that were military people because they're like, Donald Trump is going to make the country better again. I just think that Ron DeSantis has to win those people. How is he going to do it? He needs to have an agenda together because by not having any opinions, that's just dumb. 
Like, I, Marco Rubio wasn't able to win these people, and Marco Rubio has actual thoughts about foreign policy. What is Donald? What What is this guy going to do against Donald Trump? And the fact is that he's kind of boring as it is anyway. So it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, digging your own hole here, in my opinion. I agree with Nick a lot in terms of what he said. Yeah, and, you know, to finish up the show today, we're going back to the classic Biden gaffe today. We have a gaffe from Canada. So when he was giving a speech to the Canadian Parliament, he said, so today I applaud China for stepping up or excuse me, I applaud Canada. Ha ha ha. I'm you, you can tell what I'm thinking about China. I won't get into that yet. So Biden just making another gaffe. I mean, at this point, it's kind of a staple of his character. I feel like it almost makes him more likable that he just makes all these silly. At this point, we're so far deep into it. Whereas just like you see these, you kind of chuckle to yourself and you move on with your day. Not super significant, but it goes to show if you have an 81, 82 year old president and these things happen, maybe we should have someone that's younger people. But hey, Nikki Haley for no, president, no one wants guys. to hear that. No one's voting for that. No one gives a crap except for me. But that's OK. And with that, guys, that is episode one, two, three of Politicana. Thank you for tuning in. As always, we'll catch you next week. Later.